Welcome back everybody to Unbashful. As always, I'm your host Nicholas Doucette and I'm excited for another week and another opportunity for me to sit in front of this mic and in front of this camera. And today we're going to be discussing lots of news, lots of information. It's going to be another, it's likely going to be titled Let's Talk Shop and Let's Talk Shop episodes basically just consist of me just kind of discussing you know, things going on in the world, news related to movies, whatever, video games, industry stuff, whatever the case, just news going on in that sort of kind of realm. Um, and we're going to kick things off with the big Microsoft uh, deal with Activision, which I'm sure a lot of you have probably heard of by now. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, I'll kind of catch you up to speed. Uh, basically, Microsoft purchased Activision Blizzard for 687 billion with a fat B, capital B, billion dollars. That is insane. This kind of came out of nowhere. Usually when we hear about deals like this, we kind of get scoops, you know, prior to it happening. We kind of hear about, you know, things developing behind the scenes, you know, meetings and stuff like that taking place. But for this, this really just came out of left field. Now, as for how long this took, I mean, well, I'm going to stop myself right there because the deal actually isn't uh, isn't done yet. You know, nothing has been signed. They've just announced that it's going to happen. Very similar to when the uh, when the when the Fox and Disney deal happened several years ago. When that got announced in like I don't know 2018, that didn't happen until the following year in 2019, um, or it was either 2019 or 2020. But they they announced it was going to happen. But the dotted line wasn't signed until a year or two later. So that is pretty much what we're seeing here with this deal. This deal was announced, but Activ- or Microsoft isn't going to acquire the rights and all the IPs to Activision until probably late 2023 next year. But yeah, $68.7 billion is the exact number. But a lot of people that are covering this, you know, a lot of content creators are just saying it's $70 million. Um, I mean, you could round up... It's another whatever 0.3 billion, uh, or no point, or or 2.3 billion, whatever. I don't fucking know, but uh, yeah, we'll just call it 70, I guess. But yeah, uh, to be exact, it's 68.7. And I'm gonna actually talk about the details here. This information comes from Microsoft themselves. This comes from the Microsoft News Center website. Uh, it says here, quote, Microsoft will acquire Activision Blizzard for $95 per share in all cash trans in an all cash transaction valued at, like I just said, $68.7 billion. Uh, inclusion of active, uh, inclusive of Activision Blizzard's net cash. I can't even speak today. Uh, when the transaction closes, Microsoft will become the world's third largest gaming company by revenue behind Tencent and Sony. That this is huge news, and we're gonna cover the reasons why. We're gonna cover some of the big games that are that Activision owns, that Activision has created. I mean, we've all we're all familiar with games like uh, Call of Duty, obviously, uh, Overwatch, World of Warcraft, Diablo, Starcraft, um, and Candy Crush. I mean, a lot of people don't really talk about Candy Crush, but it's one of the paramount mobile games in the you know phone industry, whatever game industry, whatever you want to call it, apps. Uh, it's one of the biggest ones and it's, it definitely dominates in that area. Uh, and that is an Activision game. So Microsoft is just swallowing all this up, all these incredibly large, substantial franchises. Now they got Bethesda. For those of you who don't know Bethesda, they're the people that make Skyrim, Fallout, uh, and many other games. Um, uh, you know, Bethesda, Obsidian Studios to be exact. 
Um, so they got, they bought them a couple years ago. I think that was about $7 billion. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, but I think that was around seven or $8 billion. So this is just like huge. This is insane. And to provide context, when Disney bought Fox a couple of years ago, when everyone, you know, everybody was kind of, you know, uh, excited at the possibility of Marvel and Disney being able to acquire those Fox characters you know, all the X-Men characters in, in, in Deadpool, when that was kind of being discussed and that finally went down, that deal finally happened, that deal uh, was about $71.3 billion. So that wasn't too far off from where we are here. And you got to think that deal was to acquire, like I said, some of the biggest film properties in entertainment, right? Like I said, all the X-Men, and, you know, all the other, you know, the um, basically everything that Fox you know, own that was theirs. It's now Disney's. So that makes sense. Like 70 something billion dollars, whatever that makes sense. But 68.7 billion for, you know, video games, essentially, that is huge. And that is really a kind of a testament to the worth and the financial value that these video games have. Um, and it's not just video games, but that's pretty much the bulk of I mean, well, it is video games that that's what Activision you know, is there, they're a video game publishing company. They don't make films. They don't really do, they don't make TV shows. They make video games and Activision right now, they're in desperate need of some kind of restructure. We all, we all heard the, you know, the, um, the news regarding all the sexual allegations and all the misconduct that's taken place in these, uh, in these development studios under Activision. So we all know what's going on and we are, we're all aware of the scumbag that is Bobby Kotick, who is the CEO of Activision. Um, and I'm going to get him, uh, get into him in a second. So we all know that Activision is, is down horrible. Like they are in a terrible position. Their stock numbers are, have just been plummeting, um, as you know, as a reflection as to all the, the shitty things that they've caught themselves up in completely their fault too. So they're in desperate need of new leadership, new direction. And it looks like this Microsoft deal you know, with Phil Spencer being the head of Microsoft, it looks like he's going to set them in the right direction. And this is another reason why this kind of caught me off guard because when all these allegations, you know, came to the forefront about whatever back in the summer, uh, Phil Spencer was one of the first people to speak out and say, and, and say, Hey, we are going to sit back and we're going to evaluate our relationship with Activision. And we're going to see if, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, he basically said like, we're going to kind of have to sit back and see if we really want to continue working with you guys. And I guess he sat back, he looked back and then he told himself, well, instead of us collaborating, we're just going to fucking buy him. We're just going to buy him outright. And then we'll make the changes. And you know what? That is a boss move. And I think that there is a lot of potentially exciting things to come with this deal. Like I said, in terms of new leadership, a new path for Activision, um, a good path. And uh, and I got some more details here regarding the uh, transaction that's going to happen. Um, and yeah, in, in, like I said, speaking of Bobby Kotick, I was reading more articles and watching more videos and apparently... Uh, he will remain the CEO of Activision until this deal closes. So basically, he's going to be the CEO for the next, I don't know, year and a half, however long it takes for this deal to close. And then once that deal closes, he's going to just fuck off, essentially. And he's probably going to get a bunch of money. I mean, 
He already has so much money. I don't really think any more money is going to, you know, move him up or down on the, the you know, the, the hierarchy of finances, whatever. Um, so he's already a billionaire. And but yeah, apparently he will not be the CEO anymore once this deal closes and once uh, Microsoft, you know, absorbs, if you will. Uh, Activision. So that is good news for the future. For now, we're going to have to, you know, Activision and all the, the, the people that have been affected by this, you know, uh, all these sexual allegations are going to have to, you know, it sucks. We're, I'm not like, we're going to have, they're going to have to, you know, wait basically another year and a half before this guy gets booted out of Activision. And it sucks, but, you know, at, you know, it, it could be worse. This deal could just, could not have happened. And then, you know, we're stuck with, or I I keep saying we, as if I'm, I work there or something. Um, and then there, you know, there's another possibility or another whatever world where this deal didn't happen. And then, you know, they have to continue to put up with his shitty antics. So, uh, I'm glad to hear that eventually by next year, Bobby Kotick will be out and gone. Um, so yeah, and like I said, hopefully this this acquisition will guide Activision towards a new healthy direction for obviously the employees as as the first priority because those uh, many people have been affected and have been you know traumatized and like we covered in our in one of our one of my previous podcasts, a, a woman actually killed herself because of these incidents between her and her fellow co-workers that were sexually harassing her. So that is fucked up. So I really want to see some justice happen to and, and hold the people accountable that were involved in these just disgusting acts of misconduct in Activision. So I'm glad that there is potentially going to be some justice and some accountability that will be taken moving forward. Um, and, you know... Up, you know, basically up next now, everybody's asking, you know, how is Sony going to respond? Is Sony going to just have to, you know, put their foot down and say, well, okay, well, we're going to buy this studio. We're going to buy Ubisoft or something. I don't think Sony needs to do that. Um, I'm sure Sony probably saw this coming before most people. And I'm sure they probably have a plan as to what they're going to do. I mean, look, it's not like Sony is struggling right now anyways. It's not like they're in desperate need of saving, right? Um, so I, I think Sony's going to be fine. But uh, now talking about the games and more specifically Call of Duty. Um, real quick, just to kind of talk about Call of Duty. I've basically quit playing COD. Uh, I haven't really talked about it on the podcast in a while. I made a video about... Uh, Van, uh, Vanguard, excuse me, Call of Duty Vanguard. I made a video about that when that first launched about whatever, three months ago. And I basically stopped playing. I haven't played really since like early December and I don't really have any intentions to go back. Um, I've just learned that Call of Duty is kind of just a game that just takes, you know, it, it's it's a time killer. It really, you spend time playing and that this could really go for all video games, but you spend a lot of time playing this game and not only is it terrible right now, it's it's not even worth playing, but you don't really get anything out of it in general. So it, you basically just waste your time. If you're not pursuing it professionally, um, I just don't really suggest anybody to play Call of Duty. Now, I've still been playing some video games here and there, like, you know, story mode games, but, you know, I'll, I'll play those for like 45 minutes and then that's enough for me. But COD is just, I don't know, it's just... I've kind of quit on playing that game, but I still like to, you know, follow the news and keep up to date with it. 
And with Call of Duty, because out of all the, you know, big, you know, franchise games that they've acquired, Call of Duty is really the only one that I care about, I guess, because I don't play World of Warcraft. I don't play Candy Crush or, or Overwatch or any of those other games. But there is a strong possibility that eventually Call of Duty could be an Xbox exclusive. That would be so fucking funny if that happened. People would lose their minds. I mean, people on you know PlayStation would lose their minds. I mean, people on PC would probably be able to play it still. But yeah, that would be insane. Um, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to think that that could happen. Now, Phil Spencer has already said that uh, they're going to honor the PlayStation exclusivity deal that Sony and Call of Duty has. But I think that will that you know exclusivity deal that uh, PS5 ha- or that Sony has with uh, Call of Duty. I think that ends. Um, I think that stops in 2023. I think that 20 the 2023 Call of Duty, whatever it's going to be, Black Ops fucking seven at this point. I think that's going to be their last game on that exclusivity deal. And then at that point, it's it's open. It's it's open open season for Microsoft. They can do whatever they want. Um, so what could happen is that, like I said, we know that Microsoft is going to honor that contract and we know that they're going to uh, let those, you know, those same factors with uh, Call of Duty and, and PlayStation. They're going to let that continue for the next two years. But once that expires and it's really their game, there is a very strong possibility that we could say or that we could see Microsoft essentially say, fuck you, Sony, we're going to just take this game from you guys. And I'm, I'm not a business, you know, extraordinaire. I don't really know much about the business side of video games and stuff like that, but I could imagine that there's probably pros and cons to, you know, both situations, you know, being that a, they, they make it an Xbox exclusive and they literally don't let anybody on, or they don't give access to PlayStation players to use it. And the other, and the flip side of the coin, they continue letting uh, PS5 users and PS4 users be able to play Call of Duty, uh, but without that ex- exclusivity after um, that deal ends with with uh, with Sony and, and uh, Call of Duty. So I'm sure there's pros and cons from a financial perspective, but yeah, very interesting. And I'm curious to see what you guys think about that. So let me know down in the comments below what you guys think is going to happen. And uh, yeah, so that is going to be it for the Microsoft news. Uh, Moving on, I'm going to be talking about the power of the dog. I just watched this movie for the first time a couple days ago, and uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, It's one of the, there's quite a few films from last year that I just haven't seen. And in fact, I was, I was watching one of my uh, previous episodes recently. I think it was the one where I talked about my top 10 uh, favorite films of from 2023, and I made I made a mistake in in the way I worded it. I said there are films. I said the ten films. What did I say again? I said um, uh, oh yeah, I said these ten films I haven't seen, which made zero sense. Now I'm sure for those of you who watched, you probably could interpret or um, infer what I was what I meant to say. But yeah, I said like. Keep in mind, the films on this list, I haven't seen, and obviously I have. Um, What I meant to say was, keep in mind, there are films that 
came out in 2021 that I haven't seen. And what I was trying to say was the films on the list that I, that I have here of the, of the 10, these are the films that I have seen of 2021. Like, you know, the films that I've actually sat down and watched. Because what I was trying to say was that there were a lot of films that came out in 2021 that I hadn't seen. Like The Tragedy of Macbeth and Like The Power of the Dog. So had I seen those films, they probably would have, some of them probably would have been on this list. Um, and I think The Power of the Dog definitely would be on my list for my top 10 for sure. It probably would have replaced, I would say a film like The Green Knight I had on my list. I think I would, I think I enjoyed The Power of the Dog more. Um, but anyway, so just to kind of give a plot, you know, summary here. Um, this, uh, this comes from IMDb, uh, charismatic rancher, Phil Burbank inspires fear and awe in those around him. When his brother be brings home a new wife and her son, Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love. And, uh, yeah, so that's basically a, just a nice detailed plot summary for those of you who don't know what film I'm talking about. And, uh, I really enjoyed it, and I think this is definitely one of the best Benedict Cumberbatch performances I've seen. And you can tell from the moment this film happens, he is really, uh, he, he's very rude. He's very rude to the other people around him. You could tell that he's the leader of the ranch, that everybody kind of follows him. He's your very stereotypical cowboy. And as the film unfolds, you realize that this almost seems like it's an act. This almost doesn't seem genuine of Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, I watched a video of someone breaking down the film and they, I forget the YouTuber was, but they said that it seems like he was overcompensating. And I 100% believe that. And you realize that there's a reason because of this. He's essentially living a fake life. He's not, he's not acting his normal self and he, he's he's putting on an act to impress other people because he's trying to essentially hide the fact that he's a homosexual um and this film takes place in 1925 i think so i don't even have to go into detail as to how you know homosexuals were treated back then and how it was seen as a society it, it, it's, it's terrible how 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 they were treated back then so obviously him being a homosexual he didn't want people to know that um, so he put on essentially this like fake mask, this fake identity as this, you know, strong, tough cowboy, you know, in reality, that's really not who he is. Um, and that's not really how he wants, he, he wants to act, but he doesn't want to reveal this, you know, this part of his life to other people. And here comes his brother's wife and with his brother's wife, she brings her son. And this character in particular, you could tell he's very, very different. He's very smart. He's very articulate. And he's very different from the other people that work and live on this ranch. He's not really a cowboy. He's, he's a very sophisticated person. And he, you could tell he's very comfortable and he's, he's very comfortable with his identity. He's not trying to impress anybody else. And you could see that Benedict Cumberbatch, while he makes fun of him in the beginning of the film, he starts to almost develop a, a sort of admiration, a sort of envy for him because he's seeing that this, this young man, he doesn't care and he doesn't, it doesn't bother him that people think that he's different. It doesn't bother him that people, you know, make jokes about the way he looks or the way he dresses. He is comfortable in his own skin. He is comfortable with the way he acts and the way he talks. So Benedict Cumberbatch starts to spend time with him. He starts to hang out with him. And like I said, you can see that they're developing this friendship out of envy from Benedict Cumberbatch's character. He, he sees that, you know, this guy, 
He's living the life that almost I wish I could live in the fact that he is just himself and he doesn't care about what people think about him. And there's a very important scene in the film that kind of signifies that when uh, the the wife's son, I think his name is Peter in the film, he's walking past all the uh, the ranch workers and all the ranch workers are kind of laughing and making fun of him. And he's walking stern, he's walking with his shoulders back and you could just tell he's very, very confident in himself. And Benedict observes that and he says, that is that is the person that I wish I could be. I wish I could walk forward and just be myself and not have to put on this facade of this fake sort of person that I don't want to be. Um, and it was very, very moving. and It was very, very touching. Uh, and overall, I loved the film. Next, we got Moon Knight. So right off the bat, I haven't been this excited for a Disney Plus show Probably since Loki, um, I was really excited. Like I was excited for WandaVision because you know it's it was the first MCU show that we were getting, so I was excited to see how they're going to handle it, how they're going to you know reference the films, and how everything is kind of going to be cohesive and tied together in a way that makes sense. But I was super excited for Loki just because the aesthetic and you know the TVA you know storyline that we haven't really seen yet that was exciting. But with Moon Knight, I think I'm. A little bit more excited um, and for for many reasons that I'm gonna break down uh, I mean I'm extremely excited for Moon Knight but I also I'm not entirely familiar with you know the source material I've been doing some research and for this episode I have a lot of you know uh, you know quotes and research that I'm gonna read off but it's almost like because I'm not too familiar with the character that sort of curiosity in me and from the few things that I've heard, that right there just makes me want to learn more, right? Because, you know, when you hear that they're making a superhero, like, um, you know, for example, when when people heard that they were doing Captain America, for example, way back in the day, uh, you know, everybody is familiar with Captain America or when they were doing Spider-Man or whatever and so on. Most people are familiar with these characters, but Moon Knight, I guess... If you're not a hardcore comic book fan or a reader like I or like I'm not, I'm not, you know, I didn't really, I don't really read much comic books. Uh, then this is very new, and uh, but I'm I'm just incredibly excited. Um, it, and it looks different than anything Marvel has really done yet. Like I know we hear people say that like every time, you know, a new Marvel films coming out or a new show. You know, the, we're seeing press junkets, and you, you know, you'll see the cast and the crew be like, "This is something that you've never seen before," but. Unlike the other Marvel properties, this looks incredibly different. Um, I think the last sort of Marvel property that's come out that's look that's looked very you know from uh, you know aesthetics to you know story and characters. The last film that's really looked very different from the others is probably Eternals, which is literally like incredibly recent. That was like what November. Uh, this kind of falls into that as well. This looks very very different, and I Marvel is exploring these. These stories and these characters that people aren't very familiar with, and it's turning out to be a huge success. So I think they're doing that yet again here. Um, and just going off the trailer, like, yes, it was cool to see Moon Knight, to see the guy in the cape and, and you know the outfit, but I'm really also excited to see them kind of go through those deeper layers of that character. I'm really excited to kind of see like where they go with that. Um, and 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 you know, with this sort of split personalities that he has that we're gonna get into. Um, and obviously I think Oscar Isaac is going to, he's, he's going to kill it in this role. I think it was really, really good casting on Marvel's behalf to choose him for this. Um, 
and kind of like how I just mentioned with the split personality stuff, Marvel is going to be exploring mental health. Um, and they, you know, they've, they've done it before. I'm not going to say that they've never done it, but they're really, really going to be doing it with this character because this scare, this character has uh, what's called dissociative identity disorder. Um, and basically what that is, is, you know, there's sort of split personalities that an individual is, you know, kind of going back in between. Um, I'll give a more detailed, uh, description of this just so I don't sound, you know, misinformed. Um, dissociated uh, personality disorder, or sorry, dissociative identity disorder. Um, uh, description here. Let's go on definition. Uh, the existence of two or more distinctive identities or personality states. The distinctive identities are accompanied by changes in behavior, memory, and thinking. The signs and symptoms may be observed by others or reported by the individual. Uh, so yeah, that's basically a more kind of detailed version of what that is exactly. Um, and that is what the Moon Knight character has in struggles within this film. Now in the trailer, we see Oscar Isaac as uh, Stephen Grant, which is one of his identities. Uh, but when he's in his Moon Knight character, I assume we're probably going to see him in that Mark Spector identity. Uh, and actually in the, in the trailer, he gets a phone call from one of his phones and, uh, the woman on the other, you know, on the other, in, in the phone call, she says, you know, what's going on with you, Mark? And then he obviously being at that time in the Stephen Grant, uh, identity, he's like, you know, why are you calling me Mark? And I think, I think he's going to have different accents to distinguish and to separate and to sort of signal to the audience that this is Mark Spector, this is Stephen Grant, because I don't think we're going to see a British accent, although he does it very, very well, Oscar Isaac, because Oscar Isaac, uh, he doesn't have that accent normally, um, and I, I do think he does a very good accent, uh, British accent, um, and just in terms of the character of Mark Spector, that, because that's kind of like the main identity that we, that we see him uh, as in the comics when he is Moon Knight, um, but here's a little more detailed description, and this information comes from marvel.fandom.com. Uh, and I quote, once a mercenary, Mark Spector was left for dead in the desert where he was revived by the moon god Khonshu, which I think we actually see Khonshu in this uh, trailer. It's that little sequence when Mark is in the elevator and he looks down the hallway and he sees what looks to be Khonshu kind of walking towards him. Uh, but anyways, I continue on here. Appointed as Khonshu's fist in high priest, Moon Knight enacts ju justice to protect those uh, to protect those who travel at night. Moon Knight also has dissociative identity disorder, which I already talked about. Some of their alters being mercenary Mark Spector, millionaire Stephen Grant, uh, who I just talked about as well, and cab driver Jake Lockley. So, um, yeah. So he has basically three personalities that he has, which I just talked about. And Mark Spector is a mercenary, so I assume the sort of combat... And the fighting techniques we will see from that character because Stephen Grant seems to be more of like a, a reserved, you know, identity, sort of introverted. Um, so that is how I think they're going to explore that. And it also kind of seems like he struggles with like narcolepsy as well. I mean, he says right at the beginning of the trailer, um, I have a sleeping disorder. And I've heard some people say that the sleeping disorder might be the way Marvel explains how he transitions to those personalities, like maybe the next time he wakes up, he's Jake Lockley, or maybe after, you know, he falls asleep and then he wakes up and then he's Mark Spector. So maybe that's kind of how they'll explore the transitions of the personalities. 
but I'm extremely excited. This really just kind of gives me thriller suspense kind of vibes. You know what I mean? And I don't mean thriller as in like, you know, Michael Jackson, the, the music video thriller. I mean like the, the genre, like a thriller suspense kind of drama uh, with obviously superhero elements, obviously, at the end of the day. And that final shot of him in the Moon Knight, you know, the full costume when he walks towards the camera, that looks really, really cool. And then when he was kind of jumped across the from, from the buildings, that looked really, really cool as well. Um, so yeah, Moon Knight, I'm incredibly excited. It comes out in March, I think towards the end of March. Seems like it's so far away. Um, and yeah, I can't wait to see that. I think judging by the community and judging by the fandom, I would say it seems like people are most excited for this MCU show that they have been yet out of all the shows that have come out. Now, obviously, WandaVision, I think, objectively, is the most successful show. I mean, I think it won, like, an Emmy or something like that. Uh, so, objectively, I think it's it's the most watched, or I think it is the most watched MCU show. Uh, but for me, Loki's my favorite. But I think there's a very, very good chance that this show can knock it off. And uh, actually, I forgot to talk about this one other uh, significant character being Ethan Hawke's character. Uh, I'm not quite sure who he's playing. Uh, it seems to be the antagonist of the show and he seems to be some kind of cult leader. So I think that's pretty interesting as well. Um, and yeah, I'm two great actors. Uh, I think the writing is probably going to be significant because I think we even heard Ethan Hawke say in the past that he's not really interested in these kind of films being comic book films. So obviously something of this project had to intrigue him. So I'm sure the script probably, I'm sure he probably thought the script was very good. And the whole idea of the story itself probably intrigued him. Uh, Cause like I said, this is very different. This isn't just Cape Crusader fights crime. This is very deeper and has more elements than that. Um, so I can't wait. So everyone has wanted to know and has been speculating, you know, how long is the Batman going to be? Is it going to be two hours? Is it going to be two and a half hours? Is it going to be an hour and 40? You know what I mean? So people have been trying to figure out how long is this film going to be, right? And typically in most comic book franchises, you know what I mean? That have like a trilogy. Usually the first film is anywhere between like you know, two hours and 10 minutes or like two and a half hours, two hours and 30 minutes. It's kind of like sits in that area uh, for most films like this, you know, most comic book films. But no, this film is the second longest comic book film just behind Avengers Endgame. Now, this comes, this information here comes from a Hollywood reporter. Uh, this comes, sorry, from Pamela McClin McClintock. Hopefully I didn't mispronounce that. And uh, she is uh, from Hollywood Reporter, and this this is a and this information, yeah. And I quote: Matt Reeves' new Batman, or Matt Reeves' new The Batman movie, runs at two hours and fifty five minutes. Sign me the fuck up. I I could sit there and watch a fucking five hour Batman film. So three hours, basically. I will take that. Uh, anyways, it continues on to say, the hefty running time includes about eight minutes of credits insiders at Warner Brothers confirmed to The Hollywood Reporter on Thursday. Uh, that is super exciting. Um, now, for those you know, for those of you out there that uh, aren't really the biggest fans of long films, this might be a tough watch. 
But for me personally, I've I've always said this, uh, you know, to, to my friends, and, and I think I've even mentioned it on the show here. Batman's always been my favorite superhero. Marvel, as kind of like a universe, and in 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 all the the films that encapsulate that side of the you know superhero, because you have DC and you have Marvel, right? I've always kind of preferred Marvel, but just to pick one superhero as my favorite, it's always been Batman. So I could sit there and watch a three-hour Batman film. Uh, did I expect it to be this long? Hell no. But like I said, sign me up because that is fucking incredible. Uh, and it's it really just shows that the trailers have not shown really anything. Um, and, and we can see that that kind of marketing push has started. They're starting to roll out the TV spots, little snippets of not really new footage, but new kind of angles of it. We saw this with Spider-Man No Way Home. They basically just recycled the same kind of fight sequences and shots over and over in their sort of marketing uh, marketing push as well. But they were just kind of doing different angles of it, maybe a little bit of different dialogue, but basically the same kind of shots and scenes. And I think we're kind of seeing that with the Batman as well. So we really haven't seen much of this film. Uh, we did get one new shot though on one of the TV spots that I thought was so fucking cool. It looks like Batman is literally running up a fucking building or running or running down a building. Uh, with like a harness on him. That was really, really cool to see. Um, and yeah, like I said, just to give kind of my thoughts on that, that is incredible. Um, and that just gets me super fucking excited. But it also just makes me really, really, really hope that this film does not get delayed because it comes out in March. March is right around the corner. Um, now, I'm hopeful because the Omicron cases seem to be going down uh, in a lot of parts of the world. Not all, but uh, definitely, there, there's definitely a decrease in, in many parts of the world in terms of COVID cases. So I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic that it's not going to get delayed because we did see Morbius get delayed. But then again, Morbius was, was supposed to come out this month. So that makes sense. I knew Morbius was going to get delayed way before they even announced it. Like not new as in like I had people, insiders tell me. I mean, I think it's just kind of common sense. Most people would expect it to be delayed because, you know... In the beginning of this month of January, COVID is running rampant. So that kind of made sense. But March, it's a couple months away. I think it'll be okay. I, I don't think it'll be delayed. I hope not. Um, now, what does this tell us, right? What does this kind of signify to us with a three-hour runtime, basically? I'll just call it three hours, two hours and 55 minutes. It's five minutes shy of being three hours, Um this tells us many things that could be potentially happening. Number one, setting up foundations, setting up the foundation for sequels. Now, that may not sound great because we've seen a lot of films kind of lose their identity and almost just be placeholders to set up future properties, right? That's that's a very common uh, criticism that Avengers Ultron had because there is a lot of setup in that film. For the, for the future Infinity Saga films, you know, to, that inevitably led up to Infinity War and Endgame. There's a lot of setup in that film for future Marvel characters, for the overall Infinity Saga storyline. But you can still do it in a way that doesn't take away from the narrative in that film. So with a three-hour runtime, there's you have many opportunities to set up future Batman films and still give enough time for the narrative of this first film. So I think, like I said, setting up the foundation for sequels. And then for Matt Reeves. Uh, Matt Reeves, we've seen in a lot of his films. If you've seen the Planet of the Apes films, he loves to engross 
you as the audience into this world that he is developing into this sort of, you know, universe. And I think we're really going to see Matt, Matt Reeves kind of developing that vision that he has for Gotham City, because I think this is going to be a very different Gotham City than we've seen in the Bale films, in the Michael Keaton films, and then, you know, in the uh, Ben Affleck films. So I think we're really going to see him kind of do that, you know, world building, if you will, and sort of developing the the world of Gotham City. Um, and then, and speaking of developing, obviously developing the character of Bruce Wayne, but he's already said that this is not an origin film. So I also think that we're going to really see Matt Reeves kind of develop the characters, you know, beside or, or uh, the characters outside of Bruce Wayne, like Catwoman, like, uh, you know, Penguin, Riddler, the the the, uh, the Falcone crime family, um, Commissioner Gordon, uh, Alfred, right? So I think we're really going to kind of see those characters and that all kind of falls in line with the, you know, developing the the uh, the lore and the mythology of Matt Reeves' version of Gotham City. That kind of comes with it. But we're really going to see, I think, those characters developed. And furthermore, we do know that Penguin, Colin Farrell's Penguin, we do know that he is going to be getting his own series. So that's even going to further develop the lore and the mythology of this world of Batman. Um, and there was actually a scene that apparently was accidentally thrown in as an ad on YouTube. It's literally like a two-minute scene from the film uh, of that kind of funeral scene that we've seen in some of the trailers, the little snippets. But now we get a full like two-minute clip from that scene. And Robert Pattinson doesn't say a word, but yet you see in his emotion the 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 distress in his face, the worry, and he looks up and he sees Riddler at that sort of, you know, that, uh, that balcony as, you know, you could tell that something really fucked up is about to happen. And then boom, you see that truck drive through the church during this funeral. And, uh, it almost hits that little boy. And you could tell Robert Pattinson, he's getting that sort of Batman instinct. He sees like that little boy, I need to get him because it looks like some, some danger is going to happen. And I, I need to save him. And you could see he's quick on his step and he's able to save that kid. But like I said, you don't even hear a word out of Bruce Wayne. You see him kind of, you can tell he's very intense and you could tell he's very observant of what's happening. And he could tell that there's something bad about to happen. And he listens to the cops uh, behind him just talk about what's going on, trying to get a little inside scoop as to what's happening. The sort of detective Batman that we've, that, that we've, uh, that we've heard is coming with this film. And it's funny, that, you know, in that clip, one of the cops looks at Bruce Wayne. He's like, hey, Bruce Wayne, what's up, man? And he just kind of like, he, you know, uh, Robert Pattinson's just like, he just kind of like looks away. You know what I mean? He doesn't even really acknowledge him. He kind of just looks at him. And so very, very intense, very, very, uh, you know, just discreet and mysterious. Um, that just got me super excited. It, you know, gave me chills watching that. Um, now, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the uh, plot rumors that we've heard Um and one of them is that the Riddler is really going to expose not only how corrupt the political system is of Gotham City, because apparently he kills the mayor of the city at like the beginning of the film. So not only is he going to expose the dark truths that lie in Gotham City, but he apparently is also going to expo um, expose excuse me, the Waynes, the Wayne family, and he's going to show their corruption as well. Not specifically Bruce Wayne, but Bruce Wayne's parents. And we actually kind of... I think that is very, very possible because we've seen hints of that in the trailer. We've seen that Riller kind of has this like wall showing all these sort of news stories and all these, you know, photos of the Waynes and of the corrupt, uh, you know, system 
in the politics of Gotham City. And I think Bruce Wayne even says to Alfred, like, you lied to me all these years, Alfred. So that is very exciting. Um, another rumor. Now, this is the first one was is a rumor, but there's definitely evidence to support that in the trailers and, and stuff like that. And through interviews that we've heard through the, the direct to the director of Matt Reeves and the other cast members. But this next rumor is really a rumor. And I don't know if I fully, I don't know if I believe it's going to happen, but I do think it is very interesting and definitely worth a conversation. So this rumor is that the Riddler could actually be the brother to Bruce Wayne. And maybe that is why he is so upset because maybe, um, maybe the Waynes just didn't want him and they just threw him in some, you know, foster care or whatever. Uh, I'm just speculating. Um, I don't think that's going to happen because if you watch the Joker, they kind of delved into that a little bit. I mean, you do find out that Arthur Fleck isn't actually Bruce Wayne's brother, but his mom kind of leads him to believe that. So they sort of explored that, you know, storyline a little bit. Um, They would be doing it again, but in, in a different way. I'll be honest though. I hope that this actually happens because that is really, really interesting because like I said, they did it in Joker, but you find out that Arthur Fleck, Joaquin Phoenix's character, he isn't actually the brother to Bruce Wayne. It was, it was just the misinformation that his mom was telling him. But if, if we find out that Riddler, Paul Dano's character, I think Edward Nashner or, or Edward Nigma, um, whatever the two, I know there's two different versions of the Riddler in the comics, but whatever Edward that we get, if you find out that he's really a uh, Edward Wayne, that is really, really, uh, exciting and interesting. And that could kind of set up, uh, maybe even future narratives in, in future sequels or whatever, because who knows, maybe Paul Dano signed a multi-film contract. Maybe he'll come back for another film. Uh, maybe not as the main villain, um, but anyways, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but yeah, that is one rumor him, uh, the Riddler potentially being Bruce Wayne's brother. Uh, pretty interesting. Do I think it's going to happen? No, I don't. But do I want it to happen? Yes, because I think that'd be very, very cool. Um, now kind of lastly here about the Batman news, we, uh, apparently there's news that there was a four hour screening of this film. That is fucking awesome and hopefully matt reeves gets to make a director's cut and i would watch a four hour batman film i would have no problem i had no problem watching the four hour snyder cut i like that film doesn't even feel like it's four hours long that's the thing a film could be very long but if the pacing is done right the film could be feel like a breeze it could feel like a just a just a roller coaster um and yeah so hopefully we get a director's cut of a four hour batman film because uh, I would sit there and watch that. So kind of the last topic here to wrap up today's episode. Uh, Dwayne Johnson is apparently going to be starring in an unknown video game film. And apparently he's going to be... Well, he actually recently said that he's going to be making an announcement later this year uh, of the video game film that he is going to be starring in. And apparently it's one that's incredibly popular. He says he's even played it himself uh, extensively. So... That is pretty exciting. Now that kind of begs the question is what video game could this be? And I've heard a lot of rumors that it could be God of War. I've heard some people say it could be Call of Duty. Uh, I don't really know how that one would work, but I've heard people say it's Fortnite. Now, a lot of people think it's going to be Fortnite because recently, uh, I mean, I don't, I've never really played Fortnite, but I heard that they added him as like a, a playable character or something. So, I mean, maybe if you kind of draw the conclusions, 
He was added as a, as a playable character in the video game, and then he just said, I'm making an announcement soon regarding a video game film I'm going to star in. Some people are kind of drawing the, the coincidences, or drawing them as as not coincidences and as, you know, related, I guess, that he'll be making a Fortnite film. Uh, that would kind of be interesting. I mean, I, I would watch a Fortnite rock film. I think that would be pretty cool. Uh, would it be good? I don't really know if it would be good, but it'd be a nice film to just kind of turn your brain off and eat some popcorn. Um, now, as to which film I'm hoping it is, I think he is literally the perfect actor to play Kratos in a God of War film. I think he's almost born to do it. I mean, I don't I don't even have to say this guy's a this guy's a giant, right? He's the one of the most muscular guys on on this planet. Uh you know, not to kiss ass or whatever, but I think he would be perfect for this and I think, you know, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, he's he's a really good actor and I think he he thrives in those action films and I think he would be perfect for that. I would watch him if he did a Fortnite film too, but for me personally, I'm hoping it's a, it's a God of War film. Um, but yeah, that is going to wrap up today's episode. Um, actually, now that I'm thinking about it though, like if he did God of War, he would have to kind of follow one of the game's narratives and storylines, whether it's the newest one that everybody, you know, loves, uh, uh, the one that came out in 2018, the kind of reboot of the franchise, or if he does, you know, sort of one of the other games from the, you know, the PS3 and stuff like that. With Fortnite, there's not really a storyline, as you know, at least that I don't know of, because it's a Battle Royale game. So there's really a lot of kind of creative opportunity. Not that there isn't any creative opportunity in doing a God of War film. There's tons of creative opportunity, but I feel like there's a little bit more with Fortnite, um, you know, just to kind of side with, you know, kind of just share my thoughts on the Fortnite possibility. But still, though, I think I would love to see him do uh, God of War. Um, now he's not the only actor that can do it. I think someone like, you know, Dave Batista could probably do it very well too, but my first choice would definitely be the rock. Um, but anyways, guys, that's going to wrap up episode 19 of unbashful. Um, I hope you all have a great and wonderful day and I will see you on episode 